That song is The Life I Got off Greg Kinn's new album, Rekindled. And you know it's got a pun in there. Rekindled with the K-I-H-N in the middle of the word. You know how he do. If I had it to do Every Greg Kin song. How many artists can you say that about? Like new songs, old songs, you love them all? His songs are so singable and easy to rock out over. That's his son Rye Kin on lead guitar. I'm so excited to have both of them here today. We're going to plug in, jam out, listen to some new tracks, some old tracks, and of course, the big hit songs, such as this one. When I first discovered rock radio, when I was like 10 years old, this song came on, and I was instantly in love with Greg Kinn's music. Man, think about the genius of that lyrical hook. Well, he's going to show us exactly how to sing it and exactly what inspired it. That was the first time I fell in musical love with Greg Kinn. The second time. This is another new track, by the way, called Anthem. And the second time probably was in the mid 2000, you know, like 2005 or something, we did a guitar player, Guitar Superstar Night. This is the anthem of a thousand tomorrows. I can't articulate the way I feel. Mike Melinda spearheaded these, editor-in-chief of Guitar Player. Great thing we had going. Did it like six or seven years in a row, kind of like American Idol for guitarists. And once or twice, you know, we always had great hosts. One time we had Andy Summers from The Police, Brendan Small a few times. And one time we had Greg Kinn and his son, Rye, again, who you're going to meet today. And they hosted. And that was the second time I was just like, God, Greg is just great. They were doing songs that, of course, we knew. And, of course, songs that I had never heard. But everything just sounded so great. It was so easy to hop on board every freaking tune. And the banter between songs. Greg is just hilarious. Hilarity surrounds this guy. I mean, this is the guy who got famously spoofed by Weird Al when he did his version of Jeopardy. Here's the original Jeopardy. The third time I fell in musical love with Greg Kinn was probably a couple months ago when I saw them at the Whiskey in LA. After doing like 18 years of radio in San Jose, Greg is back with a brand new album, Rekindled. But the great part about seeing Greg and Rye and the full band at the Whiskey was just seeing how much interplay 
Greg and his son Rye have. Rye just burning on the lead guitar. You know that thing where a great guitar player, like they dig in and they find the tone and then they just start building and building and the crowd just feels the heat and it just turns into a frenzy. I mean, Ryan did that a few times that night and he's also well known for doing that on the Big Greg Kin hit, the breakup song when they play it live. Here's a version of the breakup song from their live album that came out about 10 years ago. Thank you for coming. God bless every one of you. All right, Ryan, let's take it. Ryan just tearing it up. Anyhow, my name is Jude Gold. Thanks for listening to No Guitar Is Safe, the show where I plug in with great guitarists and have great guitar hangs with guitar heroes. If you're listening on SoundCloud or something, that's great, but please feel free to subscribe on iTunes and even write a review because that helps us. Get it, right? And head to guitarplayer.com where you can check out all things relating to Guitar Player Magazine, which is, we are proud to say, celebrating 50 years in print this year. I sure have fun with these podcasts and I appreciate your patience between each one because, you know, it is kind of involved. These aren't phoners. We actually, and I say we, I mean me, myself, and I pack up the helicopter and head to amazing guitar layers. Today we're going to Sound Tech Studios up in the San Jose area of the Bay Area to meet with Greg Kinn and his son Rye Kin. Robert Berry runs a studio. It's an amazing room. It's where they recorded these new tracks that you're hearing. And he plays bass in the band and does other stuff, sings. Greg is playing a Martin acoustic. What do you think, huh? I wish I could play the guitar that good. Rye is playing his Keith Holland Stratocaster-style guitar with a juicy humbucker and the bridge through a Mesa Mark V and a TC Electronic Nova. It's the, uh, the smaller one, Nova System, for a little bit of reverb or delay here and there. At one point, I gotta say, I'm thrilled I get to jam on the breakup song for a second with Greg, Kin, and Rye Kin. Just plugging my telly for two seconds through the little Roland Cube. But that's what's going on today. We're thrilled to go over to Sound Tech Studios, and we're going to talk a whole bunch of guitar history, too. I love it. One of the better onstage call of nature stories coming at you sometime in this podcast. You might remember a good call of nature onstage story from uh, Tim Stewart a few episodes back when he was playing with Rihanna. So we're going to head over there. One of the guitar players we'll talk about is the guy who used to play with Greg Kinn, who said on episode one of this show, keep it alive till you're 95, Mr. Joe Satriani. We will also, of course, talk about some of the other great guitarists Greg Kinn has had over the years, including Dave Carpenter, Greg Douglas, Satriani, as I mentioned, and uh, Jimmy Lyon, who also played with Eddie Money and other artists, Tina Turner, I guess. 
Again, I gotta thank Zoom for the great recorders they've given me over the years as a guitar journalist. That really helps. Thank you, Zoom. I use the H6 for this. So let's fire up the Whirly Bird, head over to Sound Tech Studios in Campbell, California, right downtown. And you can please visit them online at soundtechstudios.com. That's tech is spelled T-E-K in that. Soundtechstudios.com. Thank you, Robert Berry and Sound Tech, for hosting us on this lovely day. Let's hit it. you're here at this locale because this is really the nerve center of everything that we do musically you know this is where i meet with rye and i this is where i would meet with robert we we kick uh, we kick song ideas around up the wazoo and it's this is where it is well this is an amazing room too i mean the number of vintage vox amplifiers sitting behind you oh yeah staggering Wait, wait do you see the walls uh, yeah, the walls are, there's like guitars in the rafters. Yeah, there are. One of those are. magical rooms. I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six Vox amps behind you and one. Right, and I got one of those little lunchbox. What was it called? The Vox uh, Princeton? Was it a Princeton? Oh, I don't, shit, or maybe I don't that was a Fender. Okay. Yeah. Son, are you ready to to uh, respond? Yes, Father. <laughs> Respondez-vous? Yes. Yes, Father. Yeah, doggies. Yeah, I was on, uh, did I tell you I was on Radio India yesterday? Man, we, we got to book a gig out there. Uh, I, uh, they're working on it. What kind of announcements were they having you do today? Uh, you know, uh, their, big, their big thing, I guess, right now is upgrade. So he goes, upgrade. Upgrade to Radio India. <laughs> I did like every variation of that. Hi, this is Greg Kin. I don't know who the if they even know who I was, but it was fun. All right, shall shall we go? We're going. Okay. You guys want to start off with a little jam, warm up, sound check, whatever. Just play some. I sure. don't care. What do you say? How about that little riff from Pink Flamingos, just for like a one, you know, just a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good opener. when we wrote that song right do you remember the story well you came over to my place yeah and i had that riff and you said it was killer i I remember because the day before we had talked i'm I'm talking to my son ryan by the way maybe we should introduce who we are oh yeah well yeah i think it's pretty obvious by now who's who okay you've got the voice for radio Uh, uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah yeah that's me i'm greg kin and I'm that's Rye my uh, my my His son, son, who I'm very proud of, right there, Rye Kin. Oh, uh, well, the, the day before we came up with a riff, I was talking to Rye, and I said, "Yeah, I really like to come up with something that 
was like, oh, well, by Fleetwood Mac. You know, it would rift, and then it stopped, and it was a great riff, and it just stopped, and then there was a vocal, and then and then Rye goes, oh, yeah, you mean something like Black Dog, right, Dad? And I'm going, yeah, exactly, Black, Black Dog by Led Zepp. So the next day, he comes around, he's got that riff. But play that riff one time. It just fit. It does. And, you know, I've been listening to the album all week, which I love, by the way. And I, I always hear that inside out. Like, I hear it on the offbeat. And when the drums come in, it always messes with me. So it's a tricky one. <laughs> knew a girl Well, she was fine and dandy All she wore was pink She was just like candy She had a strange fascination When she went over the window Everywhere you looked A big pink flamingo Big pink flamingo Hey, hey Something magical about that thing and then, you know, I have to play something super, well, I always play something super simple, but, you know, I'm doing. Yeah. That's all I can really do, because anything more than that, it just intrudes. Hey, well, you deliver the songs. Now, the ba- that little bass line is cool. Is that Robert Berry playing on the bass? It has like a yeah, rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, you know, the, the nice thing about it, a lot of the stuff that we do here at Soundtech Studios and of course, Robert is the owner, owner, uh, the, the owner, operator, owner, operator, operator. Okay, Op- operator, master of ceremonies. He's, uh, uh, it's very comfortable here, and you know, I never get, uh, you never feel like you're under pressure. So if you want to try something and it sucks, that's fine. You can do it, and if it sucks, nobody's ever going to hear it. But we, we try ideas and by frying them up right here on the frying pan it's that's the way the beatles used to work you know they really they created the songs in the studio which is kind of like what how we did the with the album you guys were meeting on tuesday nights or whatever and uh wednesday mornings mornings. mornings, yeah before i go to teach guitar yeah (laughs) It was yeah. pretty fun. Songwriting I think it was sessions. an organic process too. You know, it was like not like some projects are like you know you have the drum track and you're just doing it at home and the, and you fly the tracks around. Like it's cool to jam the stuff out. You know, and that's well, like, that's like the second single too, Pink Flamingos, right? It's like yeah, it is. I love that. I love the, the just Americana aspect too. The Judy fucking Judy Jetson and Judy Betty Page. Judy Jetson and B- Betty Page. Bought Betty Page and bought Judy Jetson. Well, there's two icons right there of my youth, Betty Page and Judy Jetson. But you know, it's kind of nice to work those names into a song. (laughs) To me, it's like kind of like reminds me of like uh, Eat 'Em and Smile a little bit, like little kind of like tongue-in-cheek attitude. Yeah, yeah. With the guitar stuff going? Well, you know, once I visualized the chick in the song, the, the, the song just wrote itself. Once I realized, you know, she was, you know, chewing gum, and she had her hair up in curlers and stretch pants on, 
you know, once you've got that in your mind, it, the rest is easy. What's your, what rig were you using for the lead guitar tone, right? Uh, for the lead of that, believe it or not, I think it was a Sanzam. I think I went direct. Like the intro, like the intro. Oh, there. that was probably this uh, Mark V right here. Mesa Mark yeah, V. Mesa. Uh-huh. And then uh, Robert also has like a JCM 2000 that I use. And I have also have a uh, Morin, Mike Morin, like vintage Jampy uh, uh, Marshall head that we use on that album too. Uh, the tones are just killer. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think the Mark V is like, really good jack of all trades you know it's like it's great live amp too you know what i mean but it also gets like for um for the clean tone we got on uh what's the what's the tune the uh funk one uh the funky one tell me something good tell me something good like we went for that nxs kind of like super yeah. high end clean. i use this on the tweed channel i believe better be able to do all that the mark five all those knobs <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I'm a Mesa but, fan, too. But it's cool. It's, like, daunting. Like, if you're ever at a jam session or something, that's not the one that the guitar player would be, like, they're scared of it. Yeah, yeah. I see the demonstration, watch the people on the street. Looking out my window, I got a ringside seat. Well, what I liked about uh, what Rye did on the new album was that he varied his tones almost from song to song. So... You know, some songs he's got that real trebly, like you was talking about that the in excess type of. Uh, well, that's the clean, yeah. But most yeah. of it's dirty, you know. I think I use the my Marshall a lot, the JMP, which is a great recording head. It just doesn't have all the bells and whistles because I I went out and bought that. Like uh, I got hooked up with this guy Mike Moore in LA. He's like a amp rebuilder. He does amazing stuff for like Slash and like all those NRG Studios. Like a, a lot of those, uh, right? A lot of those bands from the 2000s. All those like heavy over the top tones was like his his Marshalls. And uh, <clears throat> he's one of those guys that'll just talk your ear off for like two hours without getting a word in edgewise. He's like talking <laughs> about the transistors from China. And you're like, okay, man. Just, he's like, what do you want? I was like, well, can you make it sound like rat out of the cellar? Like, but with a little heavier, more bottom in. He's like, yeah. <laughs> so he told me, you know, get, okay, get this head, you know. So I got the, the 78 JMP. And then, uh, you know, put in a couple more thousand, maybe like a thousand more. And then he sent it down to him. And it sounds killer. It just doesn't have like an effects loop or anything. It doesn't have a boost, so it's definitely like a recording head, one channel. But it sounds great for like it. It has like the vintage kind of tones there too, but with like the extra gain stage. But I love that one so much that I had him do another one. There was a, a JCM 800, like a 1984 head that has the up and down inputs as opposed to the side by sides. I think that's right, like right. an 82 to 83 or something. Right. Uh, and I and I said make that one a little more modern sounding, you know, and uh, put in all the effects, you know, like the uh, not the effects, but like a nice loop. So it has a good loop. It has a, a, a separate master volume in back or like a whatever you do for the for the uh, foot pedal for the solo boost. And I was using that for gigs, but then I just determined that that's just so cumbersome to carry around a Marshall and the transistor like when you hold it like the transistor side like droops exactly. down you know so this this balanced. you know may not like have the tones that that has like at the end of the day but it's like well this is live. great we're playing at such a whisper volume you know Pops is on guitar on acoustic Martin here yep. and let's hear a little bit maybe a stretch out on some right you're such a mofo <laughs> 
we do. It's uh, just wonderful. Oh, thanks. That, was, that wasn't much. Okay. <laughs> what should we do? I would like to play Madison Avenue. Okay. Stops at the, the conversation and the pattern light Hit the elevator, yeah, I feel alright I check the numbers first and I'm right on time Watch that traffic jam in a perfect line Oh, the city may burn, but I'll keep my Riding high, leave the finance center and the desk behind. I put the secretary on a crosstown bus. Well, they close the door, it's just the two of us. I eat the magic touch for those special days when it's doggy dog. I got tough away so I can get results without pushing hard. I say Madison Avenue, man I touch your money with my Madison hands All right Madison This is one of my favorite riffs right here to yeah. play It couldn't be simpler Right here You guys gonna show that to me later It's too simple, man I like that. I gotta tell you, I love but, but doing Dad, that song. Who wrote that riff? Is that Dave Carpenter? Dave Carpenter That's came a up with Greg that. Kin song. The original, uh, original guitar player with the Greg Kin band, and you know that is the simplest song. I mean, it's yeah, three but, chords. But the riff, the 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 lead parts, 
is pretty cool. I mean, yeah, it's the, not that, that simple. The, the, well, it's that, not that the beauty is that it fits on kind of like you know. It re- reminds me of like a Creedence song because you really got the chugga chugga. Such a classic change. E to A to D. And uh, and and he's doing a bomb, ga ba bo 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 bomb, and it just it fits together great. God, I wrote that song in nineteen seventy five, wow. I think, maybe seventy six. Three, years you were old three at that time, maybe. Well, Four? you look how how incredibly simple that song is. That that was the way my mind used to work. Well, it still it still you, works. Dad, like do you that. remember what uh, he used for that? Guitar, well, yeah. uh, amp wise, did he use Mesa or did he use uh, yeah, Fender? It was a, one of the first Mesas to come down the pike, and like the guy, I remember, was like a big deal because nobody had, he he was the first guy, one of the first guys in Berkeley to get one, and every all the other guitar players, ooh man, that's so that's it's awesome. good. It sounded good. Look like it looked like a little fender that was all hot rodded or yeah, something. Yeah, right. I, well, I remember it was a blonde. It was a blonde cabinet. And I remember uh, we had been on a journey, a journey, a journey to find the you know the great lost Fender sound. And I tried all this stuff. You know, at that time I was playing a Rickenbacker 320 uh, 12 string, and it had the Rick O sound. The Rico sound was like this cheesy uh, splitter that made it into, uh, it was like in stereo, but it was it was not, it was weird. And I used two blonde Fender basement cabinets, one on each side of the stage, so they would go, wing-a-wong-a, wing-a-wing-a, you know, back and forth to make a chorusing effect. Uh, but it just never, it never translated, it, doesn't, it never worked in the studio. And years later, I, I found out how to do that. I've been trying to find how McGuinn and the birds did Tambourine Man. That sound was always in my brain when I was a kid. I always wanted to, because we tried to do it like on, uh, on For You would be a good example. It's really jingly jangly. I mean, there's been so many jangly sounds. What was it about Tambourine Man that you were so trying to emulate? Cause I- you know, I, well, it was the sound of that uh, Rickenbacker guitar. He was doing so... He had... Well, anyway, I tried everything over the years. Over 20 years, I tried the Rico sound, and I did this, and I tried every conceivable amp, everything, all the foot switches, everything in the world. Nothing really approximated that. Finally... I ran into Tom Petty at a gig, and we were talking about uh, McGuinn's 12-string sound. He goes, hey, man, you know what the, the what the thing is with that is? He just direct, he ran it direct with a ton of compression. That's it. No amp. <laughs> direct into the board, a yeah. lot of compression. That's why it's so clean, too. That's why it's so clean, and, and it's got that, you know, because those octave strings really come out, and... Uh, 
I, and of course, at that time, it was too late. I'd already like had you know recorded a million songs, but uh, now if I ever have to do it again, I know how to do it. Man, you've, that's a lot of amps to go through to chase that tone. <laughs> it was zero, a lot of dollars spent. Those for were it. the wild <laughs> west days where you were trying. Guys were trying things. I remember people. Uh, we, we we played with the Grateful Dead a lot, and we played with the Quicksilver. Yeah, and you talk yeah. about some of the weird rigs that would show up for the guitar amps. I remember Chipolina had this rig with like air horns on top of it like truck wow. horns yeah it looks like some out of dr seuss or something yeah right? it was just nutty and uh, uh of course the grateful dead they had like a gazillion 10 inch speakers yeah it was crazy but everybody was experimenting in those days i'd always been really uh, and this is the truth and i i'm not gonna i'm gonna cop to it because ryan knows what i'm talking about i'm a pretty lame guitar player I've always been a lame guitar player. I started off when I was 13 years old playing the three chords of rock. I just got to stop you. Too, too many people say they're lame when they've written some of the best songs in rock radio history. Like, you know, uh, gonna, you yeah, know it doesn't matter it, whether you shred or not. You, well, it, I, I, the, the problem was I only knew three chords. I'd always known three chords. So if it didn't work into the three chord thing, I was out <laughs> to dry. And uh, on some of the more sophisticated songs, like, for instance, Jeopardy, Steve Wright was a big part of that. And he came up with that the, uh, the clavinet riff. And that was really kind of the backbone of the song. But, you know, as Rye pointed out earlier... The organic way, where you're just, you know, letting letting the songs be what they want, letting them grow up, letting them mature, that's the way to write. That really is. I mean, there's I've written every kind of way there is. The best way is to just let it happen. Seems like band, like newer stuff is like you let technology kind of take the place of that, which it can do, I think, to a certain extent, and I. I guess like bands just don't have the budget anymore to be like the record companies like, all right, quit your jobs. You're just going to go to the studio for two months and just write and rehearse. Nobody can do that anymore. So, yeah, I mean, the, the big word for that, I guess, is pre-production where you really, yeah, I mean, you listen to those great albums. Bang like, it out. It's just, you know, that's, I don't know if that can be produced to another Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon or, you know what I mean? Any, any of the Zeppelin stuff, it's like, that's like guys in a room just like feeling it together. I mean, that's some part of the magic of music that really got me into it was, uh, you know, playing in a band like early on. I wasn't like playing in a bedroom, like, you know, practicing to YouTube and stuff like that, which is great. I think it's a great, but uh, you know, it's a great resource. But you're missing half of the half of the magic is playing with, uh, you know, a drummer. Like a drummer's actually a musician. It's not just a loop, you know. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and yeah. the best piece of advice anyone will ever tell anyone else, I think, musically, is play with people who are better than you. That's Absolutely. something that you've been probably doing since you were five. Or <laughs> I've, been wor- I've been doing it my entire yeah. life, because everybody's better than me. <laughs> but I mean, as a, as a youngster, it's like no yeah. shock to me that yeah. you're such a great guitar player, because you grew up in a professional situation. Yeah, I mean, what happened was, going way back to the beginning... Yeah, tell me. Uh, and I wasn't ever... I always thought it was cool what Dad did, but... It was just like a, a cool job that he had. I didn't really think much of it. 
but I was really young. I was like nine. But when I hit puberty, you know, well, maybe when did I get my first guitar? Like About the, 13 or 14? I think it was earlier than that because I had already, been. by that time, it I was, was the already. the Mustang, right? It was a Fender Bullet. Bullet, that's <clears> And they right. got me, I think I was like nine or 10. It was a three quarter size Fender Bullet. It was like Christmas morning or something? It or? was exactly that. And I had a deal. <laughs> we had an agreement that if I had no, had no cavities, I was going to get one of those badass uh, Tyco racetracks, you know, the kind that had the loops and shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, and then you guys were hyping the present. You're like, we got a really good present. I was like, well, this must be a really big Tyco racetrack. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, guitar, cool. You know, and it kind of sat around. Movie. I didn't get into it. And then. You know, I kind of started doodling around. I was always kind of musical, but I didn't never had piano lessons when I was a kid. So I wasn't like formally trained. But yeah. I think your first guitar lesson to me, Dad, was I remember uh, E minor. He's like, "All right, put these two fingers here. Here's E minor, yeah, and E major. Those are the two easiest chords. All right, <laughs> go write a song. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, at some point, I got more into music and uh like led zeppelin hendrix and stuff like that and i started trying to actually figure the stuff out had a few guitar you know i had like a guitar teacher in berkeley i went to and then it's oh also another big one was uh, i went to music camp and that's where i got to play with other people for Casadero? the first time yeah casadero i went to Cas. we might have been there at the same time we're a very similar age yeah yeah dude, like dude it was three a, years yeah. three summers in a and row we played, i remember and how the song that was. we played was uh, the last time by the stones right <laughs> Now, I wasn't even good enough to play that. I was barely able to go. And I think the, like, I was a way beginner at that time. Um, but all I know is I was kind of nervous. But as soon as we started playing with the drums and everything on the stage, it was like, wow, that's what I want to do. That's what my dad does for a living. That's awesome. Isn't it you know funny? I mean? You're surrounded by it, but it doesn't hit you until you finally are doing it for the first time yourself when you're. 12 years old or something well i yeah. think when you when uh when you get hit that age though just something with the hormones and the guitar you know especially like uh for me the 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 number one thing that just one life changer was van halen like the first van halen album and it was running with the devil that riff when i, I had never heard anything like that i heard zeppelin hendrix you know more of the classic side of it but that tone just like gave me chills and i was like what, what was then, it that's like the simplest van halen riff probably of any of their songs yeah. what was it about that riff of all the pyrotechnics available that well riff? i wasn't even really at that time i wasn't really into the pyrotechnics aspect i mean i was kind of cool it was just like to me it was more than the other thing was i could never figure out how they got distortion like early on, I was like, why does my guitar not sound like that? You know, I was like, and yeah. then at one point I did get an overdrive pedal, feedbacker pedal. It was like the old boss yeah. one where you could press it down and it had this uh, fake like feedback that was like, woo, yeah. woo, 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 you know, yeah, it's a, <laughs> but, uh, dude, I was right there with you. I was like, Casadero, I wonder, how do these guys get distortion? Finally, I figured out if you turn the amp up all the way, you get distortion. But I was like, that seems like a little brutal kind of way to get distortion. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I'm with you as I run in with the devil thing too, because that major third on that guitar part is so perfect. Like the guitar is singing like a choir almost, but it's just, yeah, yeah, it's, it's right. really, yeah, orchestral. It's almost know? a, vo it's almost like a vocal thing. And it's not, it's really simple, but it just lets those chords, you know, the way those chords ring. And then I heard, uh, then anyway, I got into that album, then I heard Fair Warning, and it was like over, you know what I mean? And at that time, I was getting, you know, that was kind of the gateway for me to get into like a lot of the 80s stuff. 
um, you know, Dio, like, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, all those killer guitar albums, you know, in the early 80s. Dude, I was right there with you. Now, your pops had so many great lead guitar players over the years. Carpenter. Yeah. And uh, Satriani uh, we, for a second. And Satriani, yeah. We had uh, Jimmy Lyon and Greg Douglas. and uh, But you know what? For my money, I like Rye the best. I like oh, playing shucks. with my son. First of all... He's a fine guitar player, a great guitar player, and he can play all styles, which is, in my band, you kind of got to play all st- styles because that's where we wind up musically. Well, I think if you're a working guitar player in this day and age, you got to do it all. You know yeah. what I mean? Unless you, you're lucky to get that one gig. Hey, yeah, he's just... Ryan's a mofo. You know, I first met Ryan at, it was a company, uh, startup.com called Savage Beast, which is now known as Pandora Radio. And they hired all these musicians to do uh, music analysis, which is really cool. And we did a party, and Ryan just crushed it. He had like a holiday party at Slim's where everyone got on stage. Yeah, with, so yeah. it was fire. I remember he told you told me a really funny story once. A lunch break one time, we were just kicking it or something, and that you guys once. And this reminded me because I just saw this movie Why Him with Brian Cranston and James Franco, and they hire Kiss to do a to do spoiler alert to do a wedding proposal didn't you guys get flown out once you were telling me to do some guy's wedding proposal oh that's a random story yeah, you remember <laughs> that, that guy? Guy? yeah that was one, one of the most that uncomfortable was the weirdest gig, gig tell, I tell us did. what happened I, it was insane and it was right here locally it was like in Hayward or someplace yeah. right and, and I thought like I was like man this guy's paying big money I mean he must be paying big money to have us just come out and do an acoustic set for him to p- propose to his uh, girlfriend Right, and it, was, and it was nothing special. It was like not in the hills or anything. I was like, oh, okay, it's just a normal house, and it was just him and his and his girlfriend just hanging out. Like I guess she didn't even know, so it was a surprise for her. She's like, oh my god. And uh, anyway, so you long it. story short, well, it's funny that he he hired you because your two main hits are breakup song and our loves in Jeopardy. Yeah, right. I don't <laughs> I know think why. Maybe we finished well, Jeopardy and he popped there. the question. And I don't know what happened, but she did not say yes. No, at she that said, time. No, she said no. I I mean I remember. Well, you her know when saying, she says like no. Kim oh my God. We let's talk about this later. That's a no. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. yes. It is was a no. real and I just felt bad for the guy. It was so weird after that because I was like halfway through our set. So Yeah. Oh, we well. just wanted to wrap it up and get out of there. Spoiler alert, that's pretty much what happens to James Franco. I mean, he works out a little better in that movie, but <laughs> well, you know, uh, the breakup song was used in the movie "The Groomsman," and uh, it was the song that the the band is like getting together again for the reunion of the the, the guy's marriage, and they played at the original uh, wedding. So there was all these scenes where they were in the garage rehearsing the band doing the breakup song. And John Leguizano was the lead singer, and you know it was it was a good little band, right? And they didn't sound bad, you know. They were actually doing it live, and uh, I I thought to myself, you know, the the breakup song has been a really great garage band song over the years. Everybody seems like everybody that I meet comes up and goes, "Hey, I used to do that in my band." You know, like it was like one of the most covered songs. Uh, I guess it was the uh-uhs, because the uh-uh-uh-uh <laughs> translates into every language. And I, How did I you think come that's... up with that? I mean, okay, someone, a good friend of mine, she was asking me, she's not a musician, but she loves music. She's an artist. She's like, 
what's a hook? What musicians are always talking about a hook. And the first thing out of every millions of songs that I've ever thought of and played in my entire life was the breakup song. It was way yeah. before I knew that we were going to do this interview. I was like, well, that is a fucking hook right there. You hear that, you can't stop it, singing. It is the hook, exactly. It's it's the essence of the hook. You know what? The, Where did how'd you come up with that? I was. Well, I didn't. I didn't plan it that way. It's like you were missing some lyrics or something. Yeah, I, I didn't hell. have enough lyrics. I was just it was filling like a placeholder. In. Yeah, it was a placeholder, and I figured I'd come in later, like the next day, and you know, fix the lyrics. So I was just singing every other line. Uh 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 uh. And then when I went back into the control room after it was over, I thought I was going to get lambasted by the band for not being prepared. <laughs> and they're going, like, oh, man, those are the deepest lyrics you've ever, ever written, man. That's great. I'm thinking, what the hell? What? I made it up on the spot. What is the message here? Now, this is <laughs> this is lyrics. super nerdy, but I've noticed it seems like nowadays you go, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. But in the old days, you went, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. Yeah. You changed yeah, it, it. It has mutated over the years. <laughs> um, the key to doing that, you got to make those uh-uhs real staccato. uh 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 like that you can't you can't go uh 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 that doesn't work um but i'll tell you man that that little non-musical riff has meant more money in my pocket i think over the years than all the other musical Dad, riffs who, that I wrote. who came up with that guitar part well first of all you know that little riff i mean that that whole thing that you just described really goes back to what you were saying about the organic magic of creating in the studio and uh -huh. getting it down and like if you worked on that too long for months on your computer or something yeah, you would have yeah. fixed that it. part you couldn't you would have changed it exactly that's the yeah. whole thing about the organic way to write songs and write them in the studio you you make you you make those executives decisions while you're doing it. You know what I mean. Otherwise, you would change it. I mean, anybody probably would change it. So, uh, oh man, it sounds it sounds so deliberate. Well, you know, I I'd like to say I planned it that way, but I didn't. Yeah, and and just like anything else, great yeah. in rock and roll. Was that Carpo? Well, actually, I got to tell you the story. I came up with that riff. And I came up with that riff based on a song by a band called Television. I got the Television album. It was just like right to be the early punk days. And they had a song I had a ba da 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 And it was just that one little riff, and it stayed with me. And when I was coming up with the song, I, I played that riff, and Carpo said, oh, that's great, I gotta pick it. And then later on, uh, Gary Phillips said, oh, I came up with that riff. I said, no, no, Gary, I came up with the riff. And then you guys remember? And it was, no, no, I came up with it. So I just let it go. Everybody got uh, songwriting credits for that one. So, you know, it's still, it, uh, still a great uh, mailbox money generator. Um, what was the tone? That sounds like a little flange that Carpenter had on there or something. Yeah, or you know, I put it, my original version, I, I did a chorus thing on, yeah. the, on, the, on the six string. Actually, the first, the, the original was the 12 string with the chorus, but it was like too, I don't know, it wasn't, just, like, it wasn't succinct enough. Right. So I, I came up with uh, just, a, just a hint of flange 
But that was by that time Carpo had, had taken over the song and he was driving the truck. That song, I got to tell you, that is like the perfect blueprint of a perfect rock song. Simple, super easy to sing, and it's got the three main ingredients: it's got the killer opening riff, it's got yeah. the hook, and then it's got the huge chorus that everybody yeah. wants to sing. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of that song, and it's always yeah. different. Every night we do it, it's different, because Rye does an extended oh, guitar man. solo, which can go anywhere for any amount of time. Rye, you're crushing at the whiskey, man. You're holding court. You just took the, oh, the crowd was, was just wonderful. freaking out after that solo. It was really well, I had people planted in there, though, too. <laughs> <laughs> some hey, I was there, man. I got on video. Well, you, used to you used to never... Um, like in the early days when I was joining the Greg Kin band, that was kind of the feature. And you would never like give me any like look when to stop. So it would sometimes it may have gone on too long. Too well, long. I just wanted you to keep going, man. I, I was digging. I was it. like, is this appropriate? Like his main that's nepotism right there. Yeah. His main hit, and I'm just like shredding. <laughs> Can I get you guys to play a little bit of that now? Sure. Yeah. Love to. Yeah. I just fucking. All right. One, I might noodle two. a little bit too. I, I think, uh, Rye, you want to... Let's do it together. We'll start no, I'll together. I'll start. Okay, all right. One, two, three, four. We had broken up for good just an hour before. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. Now I see him so fighting in I can't believe I just it's forgot. Too early the word. in the morning, eh? Then the jukebox plays a song I used to know. Uh 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 uh. The song, melancholy sound. Uh 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 uh. All right.
take it, man. Yeah, let's do it. Turn that sucker yeah. up. Oh, whoa. Right. Yeah, D standard. I should have told you. how huge that song sounds Woo! on the live album too man oh like yeah. the tone when you break it down it's like-
Hey, that was that was some tasty stuff you were doing there, man. Oh, man, thanks. Very Dude, nice. Just, I'm gonna frame those words. I, I, <laughs> you, it's crazy how many guitar players you've worked with over the years, and oh, have and interviewed and hung out with. The, everybody brings something different to the table with that song. You know, I've heard that song play. You know, for instance, Satriani is incapable of playing it. You know, this way. He's playing a doo doo <laughs> way up the neck, bending everything. But, you know, a guy like me or, you know, Carpo was a yeah. very classical guitar player and he, play, he played it down here. Oh, I've, I finally learned it the other day before this interview and it's so simple because yeah. I was always trying to play the low notes, but it's yeah. simple A minor with. That's it. F. Yeah. Like that last part is. All open strings for you. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. really, it is it's very deceptively simple, I think. Beginner open chords for sure. And that's yeah. the, if you're in a band, and let's face it, that's one of the uh, top garage songs still to this day. Uh, just remember that, you know, do do that, do that as simple as possible. You know what I mean? And when you trip out, you know, on the solo at the end, I just let go, you know, well, it just becomes an awesome A minor. Just, yeah, jam, it just you know? becomes yeah. an A minor thing, and it's it can yeah, it can go any direction. But it's really it's always fun. It's always different, and we usually close the show with that since that's one of the well known tunes. Well, that reminds yeah. me of a, a funny story when uh, we did that benefit with uh, and Joe came back as and Steve Miller was there. I think maybe yes. Joe was jamming with anyway. Joe was there. And uh, Joe did like a mini set with us. Mm -hmm. I remember. And um, that was kind of a realization of a childhood dream. So, I, I mean, I had taken lessons from him, so I know Joe, but had never jammed with him really in a professional right. setting. And that was just like awesome. And uh, we played that song. We played like, uh, we probably played Jeopardy, Breakup Song, something else. Yeah. And, uh, and then we played Watchtower, and you remember what you said? <laughs> he cracked me up. He goes, first of all, you were very funny. You're like, Joe, so you you still doing music? I haven't lost track of your career, like joking with him. <laughs> right. And he's like, uh, he's like, well, we have one of the best guitar players in the world on stage, and uh, I I don't know what you guys want to see, but I know what I want to see. He's like, I want to see Joe just cut some poor schmo guitar player's head off on stage <laughs> and let Rye be that sacrificial lamb. <laughs> and then we busted into uh, Watchtower, yeah, all man. along the Watchtower. And like, oh, man, I was funny. like, hold my own. I thought, oh, I'd you can hold your own to anybody, well. dude. Then I. I went a little too far, you know. I got a little too uh, ambitious. No, I was I played something like that was pretty cool, and then Joe just went into his uh, Joe is his Satrianisms, like super polished, like stuff yeah. that he does, like, and it was just awesome. It all man. comes back to the same thing. I mean, Joe's got killer bends and riffs, and when you bend a string right and you hit that shit, you hit the note perfectly on, so it's in tune, and then you mm -hmm. add yeah. that little twinge of vibrato. Kills me every well, time you do that. I actually learned a lot from that day because. One thing I learned was just about less is more as far as effects and everything. Because I always thought, I wouldn't have thought that he would have brought like a refrigerator size rack or something like that, you know. This was back like 15 yep. years ago. Um, and he just showed up with a DS1 and a delayed boss, right? And just went straight into the front of a clean Marshall half stack back line. And it sounded amazing. And it was all his fingers. Every His execution was perfect. Obviously, like, there's not a lot of guys that have, a like, a guitar instrumental career. First of all, like, yep. 
being amazing and then like going and touring and just doing that every night just does makes you just into a perfect guitar player like you know what i mean like 100 percent every note 100 percent conviction you know no half-assing no note is half-ass like right like sometimes like even at that time or sometimes i'll feel like you know i might take take me a second or two to like find my place but like some guitar players are just perfect from the note the first note to the very last notes like it sounds almost composed but it's not you know what i mean like those are usually players that have been doing it non-stop for decades yeah playing lead guitar for decades every night and <laughs> yeah. i was just taken aback by like how the tone his tone was yeah. with just nothing it was just all from the fingers dude you you got that same quality man like at the at well. the i know the whiskey well because i play there sometimes on tuesday yeah. nights with chuck wright's great ultimate jam thing and you know those backline amps there they're okay they've been they got a lot of miles on them i know some of the cabinets are messed up and you were saying it was not ideal but i would have never guessed because it the, oh no it's oh, like it's the moon and back on yeah, every song hey, man you know how guitar players are with delay yeah. you're like oh man no no delay where's my feel man you know like <laughs> but actually probably that's like a security blanket you know yeah well you know yeah. a lot that's of probably, guys jimmy lyon didn't use anything yeah no foot yeah. switches nothing he was an amazing guitar player. He was, player. An, and he did everything with his fingers. And he played yeah. one of the, what I think is one of the greatest solos. And when I have guitar students, I say for like major, you know, soloing major pentatonic, I I say two tickets of paradise is it doesn't get much yeah. better than that with like the, all those licks and that phrasing and just the melody of it. And um, I was actually, I don't know I, how old I was at that time. I was like out of high school, so he gave me a gig like as a roadie. So I was toting out all to all these you know for greg kinban yeah, yeah for greg kinban um and that was during the jimmy jimmy lion jimmy years. lion era yeah. so i think i uh got a good dose of you know i learned a lot from yeah. just watching that guy play too and uh, he, he was the ultimate say, like you know huge balls like i'm just gonna play straight yeah. in no reverb no nothing sometimes he would even bring a rock man and yeah just use a, a rock man, man. i mean he go like, on tour travel a light. Man. that was it <laughs> and uh i remember because uh he used to say, the more shit you need, the more shit you need to get your sound. And his, his thing was, I remember we played, uh, we were jamming with, a, I, I won't say the name of the band, but there was a very big Bay Area band with a big red hot guitar player. And him and, and uh, Jimmy were, were riffing, you know, uh, as to in the set. And Jimmy was like nothing, you know, no no effects, anything, just playing, and he was playing his ass off. And then this other guy come in, and he'd be, and all kinds of, you know, sustained stone, yeah, pyrotechnic stuff, Floyd Roseism, Floyd Rose dive bombs, but and but it just sounded really flat next to a guy that was singing his. Can you tell us what the band name rhymes with, like? Oh, I don't know. that would take me too long. If I, I'm a songwriter, man, I can come up with an hour. Uh, but I tell you what, we've played with every band in the world. I mean, there's no band that I think you can besides the hey, Beatles. Um, Dad, wh one of my favorite stories. Well, it's not that great of. A, I mean, it's, I, to me, it's an awesome story of how you got the call to open up for Black Sabbath. Yeah, and the last minute at Winterland from yeah. Bill Graham. Bill Graham called. We were uh, the kind of band that you could... Well, this was back in 78, 79, maybe. No, actually, it must have been 81 because it was Breakup Song. And we were one of those bands that was always on time. 
We were known for being on time. And you could call us at the last minute because probably we didn't have a gig. So we were the fill-in. We were America's fill-in band. <laughs> and uh, uh, Bill Graham loved us because we always went on time and got off on time. So he he comes and he, uh, one day I think that's calls called being me. professional, by the way. But anyway, go on. <laughs> he said, hey, would you could you guys be down here at Winterland ready to set up, uh, ready to load in at 7 o'clock? And it was like already like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, yeah, Bill, what is it? He goes, well, Robin Sanders got uh, you know, cheap trick, was uh, supposed to open, and uh, he's got laryngitis, and I need a band right now. And I, I, I thought of you guys. I said, what time do you want us to get there? We were really happy to that's amazing take, no cell phones or anything did, how did you really didn't even <laughs> ask who the opener who the uh, headliner was right. so we get there we find out we're opening for head for uh in black, sabbath. black sabbath we're opening for black sabbath the greg kin band at the time we were doing a lot of love songs and introspective ballads and stuff <laughs> and yep. uh we they hated us and they were giving us the finger and throwing stuff at us, and it was brutal. Builds character. And uh, it, that's what they say. <laughs> and uh, Steve Wright comes over to me about halfway through the set. He goes, let's cut this sucker short and get out of here, man. <laughs> they hate us. Yeah. And I said, okay. So we cut the set short, went off stage. I had to go walk right by Bill Graham to get off the stage. And I said, Bill, What's the deal? Why'd you throw us to the wolves with uh, Black Sabbath? He goes, hey, I just wanted to see what you were made of. I just wanted to see if you can handle it. He said, I thought you were great. I really liked you guys. And we went on to play a million bands, a million shows at Winterland. But it was all because we showed up fearlessly and let them boo, let them boo us, and it didn't shake us up. And we, yeah, it's awesome. and that was, you know, we were. That was the beginning of countless Winterland shows for Bill. Wasn't Graham. there another show when Prince was taken off of us? Oh yeah, well we were the Prince. Prince was opening for the Stones, and he did the L.A. Forum, and he took his pants off, and he was dancing around in a thong. <laughs> Uh, and uh, the Stones people looked at that and they go, well, there's only one sex symbol on this tour, and that's not him. So they kicked him off the tour, and once once again, I get the last-minute call from Bill Graham. Hey, could you be at Seattle tomorrow night at 7? You can open for the Rolling Stones. I said, yes. Let me Let me call the airport right now. So we were really pumped. We we got in. Uh, and that was we, like the Tattoo You tour, was it? Uh, yeah. Well, we, let's see. The the single was Start Me Up. Yeah, Tattoo You. That was like. Yeah. Well, I that was to go a to that really so great. So badly, but I was yeah. like wow. ten years old. And uh, you know, uh, our just the the fact that Bill Graham would even consider us for that was great. And then afterwards, I got to meet the Stones, and he was really nice and. Couple of ventures. It, it was very nice. It was. I. You know. I look back on my career. I'm really blessed that I had all these great things happen to me, uh, and I've had an amazing career or several careers. Yeah, understatement. <laughs> now, what are some of the you've interacted with either in your own band or on tours with some incredible guitar players? What are some of the most memorable guitar performances that you witnessed, or guitar shenanigans, or inspirational oh, I, I'll moments? Tell you, the guys that comes to mind it usually is jimmy lyon because he was completely unflappable 
nothing, you know, he could, I never saw him get too drunk to play. I never saw him, you know, un, out of tune. I never saw him blew, blew a lead. He was always 100% perfect all the time. And uh, one time we were playing in, in uh, St. Louis in this big natural amphitheater was kind of a, a big scoop out of the ground right right and the, the with the stage at the bottom and it was like you know hills on on the sides and we were in the middle of our set it was a real hot sunny day and we've been drinking beer and you know he, our our guy <laughs> jimmy lyon comes over and he goes i gotta pee really bad i i'm not gonna make it to the end of the set i said well you gotta pee you gotta pee I said, well, just go do it, and we'll do a bass solo, and then just you know come as quickly as you can back. So he goes off the stage. Steve Wright gets, just jumps right into a bass solo, no problem. He could do a half an hour. It's like, finally! <laughs> finally! He, and, he, and then, so I'm, pl- and he's playing, and, I, and then I hear this big roar go up with the crowd. And I'm looking around, and I realized that he had gone behind the stage to pee behind the amplifiers. But it was a natural amphitheater, and everybody, <laughs> 20,000 people, had an un, unperturbed shot yeah. of him peeing. And he was peeing out there, yeah. right there in the middle. It, it was He's on the Jumbotron. Oh, God. And, and, of course, he got a standing ovation. Because they realized what was going, and he comes back on stage, and the, the place going crazy. And I thought, I always thought, well, you know, I've seen Dim, Jimmy in every conceivable situation, and I've never seen him ever drop a note. Man, that guy was amazing. Yeah, he he was great, and you know, we were lucky because we were getting him after uh, the Tina Turner tour, so he was as red hot as possible. And then speaking of funny moments. Weird Al, I guess. Uh, it's, a, it's a really funny end to the video. Yes. Jeopardy, where they throw him into your convertible. Flash, right. Flashback. Yeah. You make cameo. Yeah, and that was uh, I. That was a fun shoot. We went down and, and did it in one day down in L.A. Got to meet Don Pardo. Really cool. A lot of people remember that one more than they remember the original Jeopardy video, which was like the Night of the Living Dead. But, you know, uh, first of all, uh, it, it's a great honor to be parodied by Weird Al because it means that you're well known enough to be parodied and and it works. It was a lot of fun doing it, and he was a really fun guy to hang around with all day. And of course, they did a Jeopardy thing. They had like a whole set. It was yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's so funny. I mean, you just see with this. He's like the third contestant to appear. The second he appears on the screen, yes. you're just laughing already. He yeah, just, he just yeah, looks so yeah, yeah. Funny. He, he he was an amazing guy. I was there to match my intellect on national TV against a plumber. My guitar picks on the on the ground here, and I yeah. only got one. You know, people come up to me and go, "Greg, can we have a guitar pick?" And they don't realize I only bring one or two picks to a gig. <laughs> and if I give you one, then I'll have a spare. I could have ten picks in my in the car in the ashtray. I go before the set and have like a handful of seven picks. Get it all plugged in. I'm digging in my pockets. Where are these damn picks? They yeah. happened to me they, last night. They yeah. totally evaporate. They just disappear. They're with the socks. That's the yeah. sharpies. 
Uh, you know, nowadays with the with the newly minted Greg Kinn band, we got uh, Robert Berry on the bass, mm-hmm. who also produces the band and runs the studio here, so that's great. You know what we don't have is GKB picks. Yes, I'm going to make some of those. You can have those little... Uh, great. Each guy can have a signature. Yeah, so that's what I'm yeah. going to do. Yeah, awesome. Well, it's, yeah, it's the college of that. Anyway, so we got uh, we got Robert Berry on the bass, and then we got uh, Dave Lauser on drums, and that's... I mean, that guy's like Keith Moon behind you, and he, he really adds a lot of really excitement to it. the band. I, I And I got to say, our gigs lately, this summer, have been spectacular. I'm loving them. I can't play enough. Oh, dude, it sounds so great. And the new songs sound... I mean, first of all, I challenge anyone to find a Greg Kinn song that they can't instantly just sing, and it's just instantly rings as a classic rock tune, like classic in the sense that it's like you knew it already. Like that song you played at... I think you played... The Life I Got? Yeah. I think Life you played I Life I Got at the Whiskey. We yeah, did. And, and it, it's such a catchy we, tune. I've been listening Did we open with that? I think we did. And, and uh, a lot of people were singing along like they'd heard it before. Yeah. And I knew they didn't because it was our debut. It's so well produced. Like, first of all, the uh, background vocals. Yeah, How do you hear some vocals fun. on that? I mean, let's listen to those vocals for a second. The Life I Got Like, the high part is just so chiming. Who's singing the high part? That's Robert Berry. And, uh, I sing the middle part. It, it, that really, that came together really nice. Did and you guys? I, I, yeah. That song, people say, that really sounds like a Greg Kinn song. You know, like, who is that? Well, it has to be Greg Kinn. It sounds like Greg Kinn. It sounds like you can hear ghosts of the breakup song in there and ghosts of other songs. Uh that's one of my favorite ones to do live and uh, I think uh, it's one of my two or three favorite songs on the new album you know the rekindled album is it's well it's well titled because really I mean we're hoping it rekindles my career but at the same time you know we we have rekindled that spark that uh, that creative spark and I was just talking to uh, Ryan uh and Robert about, you know, we're going to just keep recording. We're not going to stop. We're going to do another album immediately and just keep going. You got to do it. I love yeah. it. I totally agree. It's just, it's definitely, there's magic in those songs. I love the puns too. You always do the puns. You know, totally, again, nothing to do with this interview. Never knew that this interview was going to happen. But with my band, you know, you're traveling in the van and you end up on little comedy riffs. Yeah. We always have this one where we try to come up with a pun of, a, like, we'll be like, how do I explain it? It's like, oh, did you hear about Greg Kinn's nephew with a big orange head? Yeah, his name is Pump. Yes, right. I've Pumpkin heard those. Pumpkin or the guy who's the little guy. Yeah, hey, you know what? <laughs> we were thinking about maybe having, because I'm running out of uh, Kinn yeah. puns for the titles <laughs> for this. You would think, I mean, geez, what have we had? 18 albums. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of titles. But I, uh, I was thinking maybe we should have a, a contest and have the listeners... You know, there you go. Choose the new next vote. Pun. Yeah, vote for the next uh, Kin album. Yeah, Rumple Stilts. Kin. Kin. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I had a I, I I was writing them down last night, and I had a bunch of them. And I'm blanking right now. 
But let's go back to that the song again. Um, Life I Got, I've been listening to that all week. It's so freaking catchy. The lead guitar break is insane too, right? What, what you got? Let's hear that for a second and then tell us what the tone was on that. that was I think that was the Mark V or the Marshall or a JCM 2000 that's, that's really helpful no I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> one of the two no. what are you it's just really burn and break though I, I love it man well it's that the, classic, classic just, uh, yeah. you know it's I don't a know I was trying to go for a Joe thing kind of yeah like that feel like some of those solos that he did on the yeah. 80s albums and it just classic Greg Kinn's tones there, yeah, you know like, it sounds like a telly because a lot yeah. of the stuff that I do is, yeah. is on the telly, but not it's not. That what was it, the Mesa. Now that I think about it, it was the Mesa. I'm just giving you because it has that mi- it has that kind of has that mid rangey sort of. It's temp. got that ring, yeah, it cuts yeah. through. Now, am I crazy? But one day I discovered that with my F hole guitar, it's like a Hamer, awesome guitar. The F holes that if when it was really loud through distortion and a little echo, I could sing through it. Almost sounds like someone's singing through a guitar at the end of Brain Police. That yeah. little thing. What it was? You know what I'm talking about? The yeah, very I, end? I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. I used to do that too. Is that is that how you recorded that, or do you? Yeah, well, I didn't play guitar on that. That was like, uh, that was Robert Barry, I think. Yeah, Brain I think you're Police. Right. Yeah. Was it? Sounds like someone's singing through the pickups. Playing on that one. I love this whole album, like the song Anthem. It's so singable. One of my favorites. This is the anthem of a thousand tomorrows. I can't articulate the way I feel. Anthem had uh, Mary Ellen Duell uh, singing the background vocals, and she's great. I mean, that really, that made it all come together. My generation, your generation, and a generation's got to have its soul. This is for you, this is your anthem. Sing at the chorus if you know the song. And I was really trying to write a universal anthem. You know, because every every generation's got one, and right now uh, I think they need a good one. So, like, you know, hopefully, Cassandra's you know. awesome. Total punk well, rock. Well, you can tell that that's the one song that I wrote myself because yeah. it's got that three chord, three chords and an attitude. Greg Kinn sang. That's so catchy. So, I like it because I just play. Downstroke yeah. power chords, you know? Like, yeah, how, yeah. how awesome is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. That I was cool. I, and I love Ramones. that. It's like Ramonesy. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Now, before I forget, I wanted to add, you know, it seems like every night you give Rye the song Tear the City Down. Oh, yeah. Which is great. And on the original recording, before we talk about Rye, the tone on that, who played the solo on that song? That was Greg Douglas, Greg right? Greg Douglas, yeah, man. Killer he, tone. He was great. And, and he did a lot of uh, bottleneck. He, he was the only guy that really bottlenecked uh, in the Greg Kinn band of all those guitar players. Yeah. 
I loved it because it was such a nice change of pace, and he was a smooth guitar player. Um, he had the magic touch. The first session that he ever did with the Greg Kinn Band was Jeopardy. So he started off with a number one record. You can't go any, you can't go anywhere but down from there. Now, did he also do the? I assume the lead part on Jeopardy, which is a great lead solo. Yeah, and the nice thing about that one was. He did it uh, in one take, and he didn't rehearse it. It was like it was just a uh, improvised. Yeah, spontaneous? he was just messing around, and he goes, "Okay, let's just roll tape." It's a hook. Like it starts Definitely. off with a simple part, and then it has a little tag at the end. You, you want to yeah. play that for a second? Or? Yeah. yeah. That, that that's one of my favorite guitar solos right there, and I, that was improv. That was totally off. The I cuff. play this line, just the tear that city down line. I just do it with bends, you know. But uh, it sounds cool, you know. Like. It's, a, it's nice. I that, think that's a great. That's a like well put together song too. You know. You yeah. Got to, it, it's that's got, got a, like three or four chords as opposed to. Uh, no, it's got like four or five chords as opposed yeah, to three. It's yeah. Probably. I I uh, I was. I was actual like, thirteen in there. We had. Uh, that was during my particularly creative endeavors there. At that time, it was. Uh, it was a time where I think, really, we were trying, experimenting more than, you know, the band started off very basic, three chords and an attitude stuff. And it was kind of Ramonesy, a kind of uh, credency, a lot of stuff like that. But as the years go by, you know, uh, I think after Jeopardy was really, denunt that was the demarcation zone. Cause was Steve that on the Wright, Jeopardy album or the next album? That was the Tear next one, uh, Conspiracy, I think. And that's when uh, Steve Wright really started writing actively with me. And we were writing actual collaborations, and that's where Jeopardy came from. I'll always remember the day that he came over to my house. He had one of these little Casio keyboards. It was back in the 80s. And he had this little Casio, it was like about a foot long, made out of plastic, and it had a drum machine in it. I remember those. And he just played the, he, he said, check this out. And he just started, boom, ba -da -da, boom, ba -ba 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 -ba. and he had that little cheesy drum machine. And I just, out of the clear blue, I just started singing, Our Love's in Jeopardy. I don't know where it came from. Like it was floating around in the air, and I just plucked it out and channeled it. But... uh that song was written about 15 minutes, too. It's amazing. I mean, a good song is... Yeah, it's 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 worth its weight in cold. You know, and... The, like, you my, and Steve Wright was like... Yeah, that, that was, was a, like a, you know... Yeah, that was a, that was a Sometimes wonderful. you find, like, the 
so one person's always going to be better at the vocals and like better yep. at writing lyrics and then like like i was i've always sucked at really bad at writing lyrics i just never nothing something i never thought about it as a kid never paid attention to yeah but i was always on the musical aspect of it but you know lyrics are extremely important you know well, come to realize here's my here's my advice to young songwriters write it even if it sucks because a lot of times your early songs are horrible but you, it's important that you write them it's important them that you you document it and writing is a craft and you can learn how to do it if you apply yourself just like guitar playing is a craft songwriting is a craft novel writing is a craft being on the radio is a, is a craft. It's it's something you can learn to do, and and if you, you enter it with the right attitude, you can pretty much do anything. So I say, don't listen to people that say you can't do it because you really can do anything. It's just a matter of applying yourself and uh, and and just don't look back. Don't think about it. Just do just it. Put it out. Yeah. And what do you get from finishing that song that sucks? Uh, nothing. It just goes back on the well, even slag but, then, but somebody might tell you it sucks, and you're like, you learned something, you know? Yeah. You realize, like a, hey, that was kind of, yeah. you know, it wasn't that great. Maybe but, it was that or moon you listen, June maybe, you know, thing. Like I've, I've done song, I've done like song ideas and then not even touched it for like a year, and I go back a year later, and I'll find something that's cool, and they're like, oh, man, that was actually... Like that was a ridiculous thing I sang, but actually, like that guitar riffs, like I could use that somewhere else, or you know what I mean? It's like listening to your. I do that all the time, where I just tape myself jamming over backing tracks and stuff like that, and I just won't even, you know, I won't even look at it, and then I'll look at it like a week later. I'm like, oh man, that lick I thought that I was doing, that's like I thought was so awesome that I was like doing all the time too much, is like not really that cool. And then you'll find some other thing and you'll be like, oh, that's actually, I didn't even think about that leg, but it's cool. And then it's like you're transcribing your own stuff, you know? Yeah. Like I do that all the time. I used to do it all the time with, uh, do, you know, doing Jamie Abersall, you know, jazz standards or like, but nowadays on YouTube, like that's what I tell my students now. It's like, you can go on YouTube and if you're learning a G major scale, you go, you put G major backing track on YouTube and like, 50 can tracks i mean it's kind of cheesy but it's such a good tool for just like listening yeah. to and just learning how to improvise you know learning how to bend in key you hear the background and you can yeah much it's better to like bend with the background yeah. yeah sometimes it's good to just learn the scale like meat and potatoes just practice scale memorize it without any like you know i think you yeah. it forces you to learn the fingering and like be solid on your fingering and trust your like muscle memory when you even don't have a backing track because then sometimes you're relying on your ears where it's like i think it's like a right brain left brain thing like you have to do the left brain shit <clears throat> you know what i mean you really have to just yeah. do the work you know like like learn those minor pentatonic boxes all the way up like don't even use a backing track just you know, every day, like memorize it, go through them, repetition. Burn and then in. once you have that and you have a muscle memory, then go and like, you, you surprise yourself. You like, you play the tracks and you're like, oh man, that, I can actually get through this a little bit. You know what I mean? But I don't think you can do that if you don't have the discipline. I mean, some people can do it, but the average person, if you just don't have the discipline as you just put on the thing and just, you know, like so many people just, they do, they sit down and practice and they end with just kind of like noodling around, like, I learned early on that that wasn't I know productive, man. And one thing that taught me that was uh, was was when I was studying with Joe. Like I was the first <coughs> guy that really just. I mean, that was like a life changer, really, because I was at that age. I was like sixteen, fifteen. I was already pretty good for my age. I was in bands and stuff. So this is like 
the 80s and Satriani's teaching in Berkeley probably. Yeah, he's, he's on that play, little place on Cedar, yeah. Larson music. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really know much about him. I knew that he was like the guitar player in the Great Kim Band and he was really awesome. It was like a big deal that I was able to get hooked up with him because there's a waiting list. But then as soon as I walked in the door and I just heard these wild freaking, all this stuff, he was just kind of noodling. And before I even the lesson started, I was like, I just had a wide grin on my face. And I was like, <laughs> walked back there and I was like, you know, full like reverence. And like, I was like, man, this guy is like the baddest guitar player I've ever heard yeah. in my life. <laughs> Definitely that's ever sat in front of me and played. It was like mind blowing. And then like, and I didn't need any motivation to practice at that time. Like I was like, anything he threw at me like the first first lesson he threw a lot of stuff at me too like you know all the all the modes you know and like he had a way a pretty comprehensive way of learning the scale like up and down you would have like a three octave you gotta do one string patterns learn it this way and um i mean first of all like when when i when i'm at that age and I, you're saying like the Dorian mode. I'm like, oh my god, that must. That's like the deepest. Like that's the key to all music. Like I thought it was just like I had found the like the holy grail. But it's not. You know, as we know later on, it's not. You know, there's you can go a lot further with that. But like, plus the modes just sound so mystical. Dorian, Lydian. the names of them yeah. are like you're like wow. You know, so Locrian. like yeah, I I practice a lot just you know learning memorizing shit before I even try to like you know be creative with it. Maybe I was going to ask you, Greg, too, about some of the great guitar players that you've known in the Bay Area over all these years. Oh, yeah. Like, there's so many here. Like, You know, our generation had some really good guitar players uh, that just came, like, you know, Neil Schoen was a good example. I mean, here's a guy coming out of Santana, already had bona fides up the wazoo, and then when he started his own band with Journey, it, it was like... You know, he took the gloves off, and then suddenly he could play anything. And I remember because I, I, I did a lot of touring with Journey, maybe two or three years worth back in the '80s, and we were pretty close to two bands. And and Neil Schoen and I were, you know, pretty good buds. And um, I, I just felt like. Uh, Every they were so good at playing these giant arenas. They could go out there and play like Madison Square Garden, and it was just like a little club to them. And I really learned about how how to play those big giant venues right. and let Joe. I just sit back, and let him do a lot of the le the heavy lifting, and that kind of that that was handed down to Rye when Rye became the guitar player. I leave the heavy lifting and all the solos and everything to Rye. He does a great job. In the meantime, I, my my thing is to keep it simple. You know what I mean? I that's what that's what I that's my mantra. Keep it simple. But you know the fact that uh, that that we had gotten this far. You know this is like you know I I can't. How many years has the band been together? We have a, we're a heritage band, you know. We're, we're my 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 son was a little boy when we first started, so uh, it's amazing how we've survived over the years. It's amazing how the band has has uh, expanded, and you know we've had great years and bad years and up and then downs and everything. And now, you know, now I just feel like we're, we're really hitting our pace. This is creativity where I really want to be. Oh, yeah. You can totally feel the love, man, and the, 
You guys yeah. are loving it. You know, and I'm I'm real blessed because I got my son. I got a great band. Great Dave Lauser and and Robert are great. We're working in a great studio here at SoundTech. Uh, you know, I I I I am truly blessed. I have a great family, a good support group, and I, I you know I fully intend to die doing this. You know what I mean? I hope I hope that uh, I can do this for the rest of my life and uh and keep doing and and keep getting better well there's no reason that you can't well thank you (laughs) you guys will keep doing it it's great it's great to see this uh father-son super duo happening Uh, for my part it's like always been one of my greatest pleasures just to jam i mean just playing music in general is awesome but like to look over at you and you know be playing licks and like smiling you know yeah i smile a lot yeah this is funny (laughs) My mother, you remember my mom, mm-hmm. she, we used to play with Joan Jett a lot in the, on the East Coast. And Joan used to open for the Greg Kinn Band back in the 80s. And, uh, and my mother and my father would all invariably drive up to New Jersey or wherever we were playing and go to the gig. My mother walks up to Joan after her show and she goes, you know, honey, you're such a nice looking girl. <laughs> Smile, just smile. (laughs) And I'm saying, Mom, Joan Jett does not smile. She would tell us. She's like serious. She's grimacing. She's you know. But she did one thing. She does not. She is not a smiler. And and my mother, (laughs) no, honey, you look so so pretty. Just smile a little bit. And and she never had to tell me because I I look at Ryan on this I'm always smiling up there. People think, gee, I don't know if these guys are really taking this. It looks like they're having too much fun and they're not taking it uh, seriously. I'm I'm smiling the whole time. I'm loving it. It's a great show, and and I love the banter in between songs and the stories you tell and stuff. And uh, you, you never great. know where that's going to come. I mean, that, yeah. that, that there there's a million stories. I got more yarns than a Rastafarian hat factory. <laughs> nice. I always think it's underrated. You know, we always talk about singers and, and artists and how great they are, but there's that extra credit of talking to the crowd in between songs. That's an art too that no one ever it really is. talks about, but that's a really great moment. Yeah. Well, Gene uh, Gene Simmons of Kiss told me I talk too much. He came to a gig and he goes, "I love you, Greg, but you talk too much." <laughs> <laughs> What can I say? I didn't talk less. In fact, I think I did step it up a little more. Yeah, and lead talk. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, being on this show. Really Thanks appreciate it. Thanks a ton. Really, that was, uh, that Thanks, was a lot Jude. of fun, man. Right on, guys. I don't know if you want to play a little bit to fade out or you got sure, to take off. Sure, let's give them a little uh, how about remember fade out oh, since yeah. I got my fingers. I'll check you out. All right, this is remember. Uh, and if there's one thing that I can do, Rye, it's finger pick. I don't know why. It's one thing. I can't play leads. I can't do doodly squat. But for some reason, I can finger pick. So here we go.
time I guess it just couldn't last I feel it's fading fast Do you Remember, do you Surrender, do you That was nice. He wants to solo more. Oh, you want yeah, to do yeah, solo? Yeah, yeah. yeah, one, two. One, eight, Thank you. Whoa, the time is safe. 